The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Aging and, what are we called, Diversity Workshop. <laughs> My name is Anne. I'm a compulsive eater and your moderator for this workshop. Please, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check it again. I better do that because I don't remember whether mine is turned off. Whoops, I'm not going to take a picture. Ugh, it's not cooperating. Well, I hope it's not working because I can't get it to go off. Okay. The the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed, and I guess that should be well aware except for the one they're doing commercially. Um, if there is a press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be an, there will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may uh, order outside in the foyer. The, the speed the workshop will have speakers followed by ask it basket questions. The topic for this sage this session is uh, age and diversity. Did I get that right? Okay. Let's welcome. Are you starting first? Yes, Gina. I think Gina is our first speaker. Hi, I'm Gina. Okay, hi, I'm Gina, um, compulsive overeater. Hi, hi, Gina. I am the first leader speaker for this meeting. I'm grateful to be here. Um, I have my pictures. My first sponsee um, gave me this little prayer book, so all of my pictures that I have today are towards the back. So I'll pass those around. I always like to kind of get rooted and qualify, Um, so I've been in and out of OA since I was 18 years old. Um, I am currently 44 years old as of last Monday. Um, I have four years of this current abstinence, which is basically what I consider to be a losing abstinence. Um, my last abstinence, so I've been back to OA for the last seven years, and so basically I haven't taking on any candies, recreational sugar, cakes, wedding cakes, that kind of stuff um, since I've been back to program for seven years. Um, I did restart my abstinence because I was starting to gain weight. I had what I like to, some people call it, I guess, like a fat abstinence, and I really didn't want that. I really wanted a losing abstinence, so I made the decision to restart my abstinence um, three years ago. So... um, to date, I am currently down 198 pounds, so I'm really happy about that. Um, 
I have been having my my losing absence has been going great. And I will talk about that when it comes to like my hope and for the future and what I've been doing. Um, in terms of my experience, um, early on, I knew that I was a I knew something was wrong. Everyone did. Some of the time I was a little baby. Um, they would always say, you know, that baby eats a lot. You know, it, you can calm her. Just give her food. She'll calm down. Give her sweets. Give her candies. Put your thumb in her mouth. Whatever. And she will just calm down. I was just very irritated. Um, when I was little, I remember thinking, something's wrong with me. I think I used to think that I was emotionally disturbed. You know, I'm a school psychologist now. So now I'm like, you know what? I think I did think I was emotionally disturbed when I was little. Um, and now I better understand why, you know, like technically I was, um, my mom, um, came from a huge, like alcoholic family. And my father came from, I would say like a foodie family. I ended up being the largest one in that foodie family, but I honestly think that my addiction and my problem is closer to the devastation that was occurring, like in my mom's family with alcoholism. Um, my, um, compulsive overeating was such a problem in my life that it was literally trying to kill me in the way that it did, you know, the majority of the alcoholics in my mom's family. So I definitely relate to them in terms of, you know, the addiction. Early on in my in my life, of course, you know, there's lots of food stories about weight control and you name it. In terms of diets, I've done that. Um, in terms of what I've done, in terms of binging and not being able to walk past any aisle, anywhere, past anything that I liked, um, that was my life. You know, um, inappropriate eating from the time I was a baby all the way until uh, my mom said, do you want to go to the Raider Institute when I was 18? And I thought, okay, you know, we've gone to the hypnotist, we've gone to Jenny Craig, we've gone to whatever else is out there. So why not go? I don't know what the hell that is, but all right, sign me up. Let's go. We'll try that. So we did try that (laughs) and they put me on an abstinent food plan. My head started to clear out and then uh, they took me to my first OA meetings. And when I went to my first OA meetings, I thought, this is going to work for me. I'm going to be, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get skinny and cute. And then I can get back to the cakes and all that stuff later. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did. (laughs) I got cute and I was 18. I felt great. And I really remember I went back to my first wedding and I said, I can have a slice of that beautiful cake. Of course, I've done all this work. And that was the first bite. And I would say that, you know, the second bite wasn't immediate after that. So I thought, see, you're doing pretty good. (laughs) You can handle this now. You may not really need that OA thing after all. You know, you, you've kind of, you're doing pretty good. So I don't even remember when the second bite is, but I can tell you that by the time I was 23, I was already gained all of that. I think it was 100 pounds at that point back, and I was off and running again. And then my grandmother died, and then my mom was like, do you think you need to go back to the Raider Institute again? And my answer was, uh, yeah, I think so. So I went back to the Raider Institute again, and then they um, took me back to the OA meetings. And then I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to get cute again. (laughs) I'll keep away from that sugar for some time, and things will be okay. Um, And I did that. And each time I early on when I was young, I really didn't understand in terms of an addiction. I don't think that I ever 
really thought of it as an addiction. I just thought of it as like, you just don't need to eat that much right now. You know, I didn't quantify it as like this thing that was actually going to try to kill me if I keep going back to it. Um, that came with age. <laughs> so um, basically, I carried on with all that sugar, you know, for a very, very long time. I went back and got started working on my BA. Everything that I did in my life was very was labored. I always wanted an education. I always wanted more for myself. I always wanted to get a job. Everything that I did was painful because like I said, I was like basically emotionally disturbed. I had a spiritual problem. I was addicted to sugar and didn't really know it. And my moods and my depression and everything was just so crazy. And I had all these goals for myself and I could, it was like pushing up a boulder. Everything in life was a freaking boulder. Just being me was a problem. Um, and I didn't really equate that with the sugar at all. I just equated it with me being me, which was probably some kind of loser who couldn't get it together. And so I wouldn't want to kill myself in terms of, you know, like, I don't, I, I wasn't one of those people that would say, I want to die. This is not worth it, you know. But I would say, I would get so frustrated because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do that boulder. Yeah, I don't think that was me. No. <laughs> okay. Somebody's coming through. Hello, speaker check. <laughs> Tom, can you help us out? Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so where was I? Point that away from the ceiling. I actually think it's coming from the other speaker. Yeah, I think it's better. That's doing that. It's still on there. <laughs> that's Bert. <laughs> okay, that's good. Okay, so let's see, let's see, where was I? Food addiction, going back to school, hot mess. I decided, you know what? There's no way for me to get a BA and not eat sugar. So I basically said, give me all the red vines I can handle because I am going to get educated. And I really made a conscious, I just, that's exactly what I did. I just took sugar back and I just kind of ran with it. And uh, life was painful and I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And somehow I kind of convinced myself that it's okay. I started saying, hey, I'll advocate for big women, you know, give me that big adjustment on the airplane and, you know, give me that big extender. Like, yes, I, you know, I, I had this very, this cockiness about my weight. Um, I didn't feel, I, I didn't want anyone to say I couldn't do it. I couldn't get this job. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. Don't tell me what I can do and cannot do. I will lift this boulder one way or another. And that's basically what I did. Um, but it, like I said, it was very painful existence. And then at times it would have put me on my back and I would literally not come out of the house for like days and I would just binge and it had me, it was in full bloom. Um, and I somehow got these degrees and got these jobs and that was all painful and all terrible. And it, it was just 
a thing. Um, my husband, I fast forward, my, I got married and that was, he was always concerned about my weight in terms of my health because his first wife actually passed away. She was very fit and passed away. He was a widower. And so he was always worried, not so much about the, the, the way I look, but more like, is this going to be the next wife to die? Um, and so that was like, would get my attention. And um, we had some things that went wrong, you know, in terms of our finances and our business and this and that. And one day he just showed up and he said, I think your life is going to be better without me. And I said, oh, yes, it will. Because I'm going to go to OA and I'm going to get skinny like I did last time. And I'm going to get another husband and everything's going to be fine. Because I'm like this crazy, out of control person that walked back into OA crying 400 pounds this time. Uh, just everything out of control, my home life out of control, my finances out of control, my job, my relations with my boss, like everything was miserable. My relations just everywhere. Everything was just out of control. And I came back and that was a bottom for me, you know, and I said that day I dusted off my OA books from when I was younger and I read it and I said, this has got to be different this time. Something has got to this has got to be different. And I went back to OA and, um, I, I don't really actually know how much I weighed because I refuse to get on the, on the scale, but I'm guess I can guesstimate that it was about 400 pounds. Um, I lost weight quickly coming back to OA, getting off the sugar. And within the first year, I think I lost approximately about 70 pounds, just, you know, half-assing OA again, like the first time I did when I came to OA when I was younger. I just half-assed it, half-assed the gym, half-assed the program, half-assed my sponsor, half-assed everything. And um, at some point, I wasn't losing anymore. I wasn't eating candy and cakes and and sugar and things like that, but I wasn't losing. I I had a fat abstinence, but I also had a weak program, and I never had a good program. Um, do I have five minutes yet? Nope. Oh, okay. I'm doing pretty good for myself. I usually run out of time. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) So, um, this time around I said, you know what? (laughs) I guess I have a little bit more age on me this time. I said, what would happen if I actually followed directions? What if I did everything that the people in OA said to do? What would happen? Well, a lot of things happened. One, I began my losing tremendous abstinence. I have lost since that day probably between 30 to 40 pounds a year consistently from that moment. I have gone to the gym on a consistent basis. I have gone to the meetings my sponsor told me to go to. On a consistent basis, I have done my pro. Is it off? So we didn't. We thought it was on the whole time. It's pushed up. Okay, I'm gonna pretend it's on. Um, we have. I have done. I got a big book thumper to help me with the steps this time, instead of just glossing over the stuff that I did before to really kind of take me through the steps. Um, I made phone calls. I took sponsees for the first time. I um, called my own sponsor the way she suggested to call her. 
Um, I committed my food to her on a daily basis. Um, I got a MyFitnessPal app that I use to help me with my food. Um, and doing all of that and understanding the getting into the big book and for the first time in my life, understanding an addiction and, and what it actually means, not just giving up cake for some time, but actually understanding that the cake is trying to literally kill me. Um, and so there cannot be a next time because it's literally trying to kill me and that you, I will die because you know what, if I go back to 400 pounds, it's not going to stop. It wasn't stopping there. It was just going to continue. And that was something that I didn't figure on when I was young. I just assume that, oh, I'm just a little chunky and I'll just stay a little chunky and uh, no, it didn't. It was trying to kill me. Um, so as I have grown up in this program, I am just very, 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 very grateful that I am, you know, clear-headed enough to follow directions, to get out of my own way, and to do what other people tell me to do. Because my way of thinking led to the boulders, led to the painful way of doing life. And I've had to simplify my life. So the older that I've gotten, I've understand I, some of these things, I can't handle it. Because it's too much. Why does everything have to be a boulder in my life? It doesn't have to be a boulder in my life. I have to simplify. I have to get to the gym. I have to get carrots. I have to get to the grocery stores. I have to chop a whole bunch of shit. I have to get to Costco and Sam's Club. I have to get to all these things and prep all this shit and then put in the app. And I have to get to my job and tell my boss, that's enough. And I have to. I have a lot of things that I have to do. And I have to escape those boulders because I can't handle the boulders. So I have to make this life more simple for me so that I can do it. And in doing that, I am just, I got the gift of me. You know, I got uh, the gift of where I, I want to be. You know, um, I've watched some people in this program pass away. And um, one of them told me, you know, I want to live every day in this program abstinently to the day that I pass away. And I said, me too, me too, sign me up for that. You know, sign me up for that because um, I have gotten everything by following directions and by getting out of my own way and doing my schedule and getting to the gym like I would my job. So the things that I do for my OA program, it's not based on do I want to do it. No, I don't want to swim for a whole hour at the gym. No, I don't want to do yoga next to the skinny people while they're looking at me like, oh, my God, she can do this plank too. No, I don't want to do those things, but I do it. And it's part of my schedule, and I just do it. And the more that I do it, then the more clarity I get and the more distance that I have between me and that sugar, and that compulsion to eat, and every time I want to tempt faint, I can just not do one of those things, and then I'll go right back to a little extra this, or a little extra that, and so I know that that disease is sitting there waiting for me, it hasn't gone anywhere, it's just sitting there waiting for me not to do my yoga, it's sitting there waiting for me not to go to Sam's Club and Costco, if that's on the schedule, <laughs> it's waiting for me, and I know it today. Um, and so I'm very passionate about this program because it's, it literally saved my life from me. Um, and I think that's all that I have. I look forward to any questions that you have for me later. Thank you.
My name is Anne, and I am a compulsive eater. I'm also compulsive about a lot of other things in my life, too, to say the least. My strongest compulsion, believe it or not, is pinching pennies. My mother taught me that when I was this high, and it's not going to change now. But the fact is, that's one of many things I learned as a child that actually helps me in program. I'm a black and white thinker. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. When I started off in this program, here, I'll pass that around too if you'd like. Um, When I started in this program, that was uh, 2005, I was, I'm going to guess that I was probably somewhere around 370 pounds. And I could not stand for two minutes. I'm not a great singer, but I love to sing. I couldn't stand. I couldn't sing. And I said, you know what, God, if you want me to do these things, you need to show me how I can do them. It's that simple. You need to show me what I need to do. And somebody sent me to the doctor, and he suggested I try Overeaters Anonymous. And I thought, yeah, right. I walked through the doors, and it was my answer. I knew immediately it was my answer. When I was, some of the pictures you'll see that that I'm down at 18 years of age, I thought, when I thought back on it, that I looked fat. I look at them now and think, I didn't look fat. I had an athletic build, but I didn't look fat. In fact, I was at a very normal weight. But that's not what I saw up here, and that's what finally got me. Well, I've discovered that um, my first sponsor was very, very rigid. And as long as she wasn't telling me I had to do something, she could tell me I recommend this highly and I think it will benefit you. I would do it, even though it was narrow borders. But the fact is that I I would not have cooperated with somebody who said, you have to do this this way. Somebody told me to eat. Melon, for example, I'd die before I eat it. But the fact is, there's a lot of things I do that may not have been my favorite thing to do, but I was said, try it. You might find it helps. And the older I've gotten, the more I've begun to realize that my, my black and white thinking actually does help me because I can look at something and I can, I can try something, and if it works, I'll be locked into that till I stop breathing. Um, if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll drop it at a hat, you know, just out of the window. In fact, I'll kick it out the window if I get a chance to do that. But, but I, I discovered that I, needed, I knew I needed to come down a long way. And when my doctor first saw me, she said, well, you know what, you just need to keep on coming. Well, okay, I did. But I got to the point where I was trying to figure out, how do I track it? Well, my compulsion led me into Excel spreadsheets. I know some of you are using Fitbit these days, but I was doing this before Fitbit was available. And I can plug into my, my, my programming. I can plug in the food, the calories, the quantity, the fiber, the protein, the fat, the sodium, and I can't think of what else I probably left out. And that's where my compulsion helps me because I can plug something in And if it looks like I've had too much, I can cut back on the quantity and it automatically adjusts the nutrients that are in that food. And that helps me. I don't think about I'm depriving myself. I'm thinking if I were to walk into the grocery store with $20, I'm not going to try and come out with $30. I might wind up in the the hooskow for that. And I don't want to do that. Well, the hooskow for me now in terms of Overeaters Anonymous would be going back to the 370 or more because I know every time I put on weight before, I'd go up whatever I'd lost plus an extra 20, 30, 40 pounds. I can't afford to do that. I'm too old. Um, 
as a child, I never had to deal with abuse. I know I've heard a lot of people's stories that did, unless you call feelings of abandonment. My parents, I knew my parents loved me up here, but I never felt it. I don't remember ever being hugged by either of my parents as a child. I knew intellectually that they did love me. There was no doubt in my mind, but it was not an emotional thing. And whereas emotion shouldn't be driving us, it should be part of the picture. I never learned how to hug anybody till after my daughter was born. And she's a hugger. She was born a hugger. She was, she was born laughing. Uh, not quite, but awfully close. She's the one that got me to be a decent person first thing in the morning because she would, she'd heard my footsteps and she'd start giggling. And I'm thinking, how can I be in a bad mood, you know? But then I realized I've got to learn to do some of these things. And OA has taught me that to where I actually go seeking people out for hugs these days. And it takes, it takes a lot of energy on my part to do that because it's not a natural behavior. But I know I need it. And I know it will help me in the program. And I'm hoping that it may help somebody else too because I don't know where they are. Maybe they're not in the same situation I was, but they're struggling with things and maybe having somebody know that they care about them will make a difference. I'd like to think so. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to be some kind of an influence in, in how my life impact, impacted other people. I have, have frequently thought, I don't have a purpose here on earth. What is it? I could tell you the short version of a story that will explain what I meant. My mother's mother's parents were supposed to come to this country from England, and they booked passage on the Titanic. My grandmother missed the boat, and my grandfather missed the boat because my grandmother was sick. The rest is history that comes back to me. I knew I had a purpose. I know I have a purpose. I don't understand what it is yet, but I know I have a purpose. And I think that if I keep on going, I will fulfill that purpose even if I never recognize what it is. You know, it's one of those things that if you're doing what you feel you should be doing, the little stuff takes care of itself, you know. Uh, I may take one step when I should take three. I may take a step backwards when I should not be going backwards. But I know in the bottom line, if I'm still aimed at the right purpose, what the right goal, it'll happen. Because this program is a structured one that gives me the guidelines I need to simply move forward, even if it's only one minute step at a time. Um, I found that as I got uh, quite a bit older, my doctor no longer needed to give me any medical reasons to lose weight. I had probably lost about 100 pounds when I hit a plateau. Now, I don't know if they have taken off enough weight to realize that if you're taking off enough weight, about every six to eight weeks, give or take a little bit, you start to hit a plateau. It's usually a week or two, sometimes three. If you're a few people, it's four. But you hit this plateau. My description is that's when your body stops taking it off and starts shuffling it around so it fits better. Because every time that I've talked about with somebody, they say that's when their clothes start to fit better. I can't think of any other explanation for it, so I'll settle for it even if it isn't true. So I, and then I would, and, and at one point I said, you know what, God, this has been six months I'm on this plateau. And I'm still not where I think I need to be. And I finally said, you know what, God, if you want me here and you think I'm healthy here, I'm going to quit fighting it. I started losing weight again. It is a spiritual program along with everything else. And by trying to leave that out of the picture, no matter how you put it in, if you try to leave it out, it doesn't work. Somebody's got an ad on TV about investments, and they're trying to convince me that a four-legged stool is sturdier than a three-legged stool. 
well, I don't know how many of you have thought of this, but assuming all the legs are sturdy, three legs guarantees they'll all be on the floor. A floor, well, these chairs right here, if they're not set right, they don't always fit on the floor straight. So a four-legged stool is not sturdier. But a three-legged stool is, and our program is a three-legged stool. And by following that, it makes a difference. I've discovered my daughter thinks I'm funny because I, I spent so much time wearing things that Omar the tent maker made that I, she wants me to put on something today that looks loose and not fitted. And I say, I don't want to wear that stuff. It reminds me, it's still a mental thing. It reminds me of where I was and what I looked like. And once in a while, she's been able to convince me to actually wear something that is not my choice. And when I do, everybody else says, oh, you look great that way. Okay, fine, I'll wear it again. But, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that, that you, you have to feel out a program. And by me, you feel it out along the lines of what works for you. What works for me might not work for anybody else in this room. Uh, I, I may do something that you look at and say, how can you do that? Some of the things I like to eat don't make sense to anybody else. Some of the things I don't like, I can't stand the smell of coffee. Well, how do you survive if you can't drink coffee? Everybody's got coffee. I don't even want to be around the smell of it. And, you know, so I sort of think, okay, there are ways you have to learn what they are. And you find out what works and you do it. Well, while I'm in program, I found that, what is it they say, um, service is slimming. I believe it. I mean, I know you probably don't believe it, but I'm not a talker. I know my friends don't believe it anymore either. So, But you get me started, and I don't want to stop. It's getting me started that's the problem. But I'll get into there, and I'll do different service things at my meeting, not because somebody says I have to, but simply because I know it works. And I know there are other people, for example, setting up the room for people to come in and sit down. Nobody's even there when I do it, so they don't know for sure who's done it, and I certainly don't say anything about it. But they come in, and they sit down, and they say they feel so welcomed, and I'm thinking, thank you. I, I, can, I can think I had a contribution to that. And now I've got to where, I, I've got to where instead of accepting the formal, what am I looking for, verbal abuse from people. I had a husband that was very verbally abusive. I didn't realize it because I came, I came from a family where you didn't even talk about things, much less argue. I never heard my parents talk to each other. I know they did because I have two older brothers. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that I didn't understand how his family could do it where you're in the face of somebody, nose to nose, arguing with them. And my stomach is turning in knots. And he talked to me that way, and I was... I, I was I was so terrified a few times I backed up and I finally got in a corner and told him off. I said, you never do that again or I'll call a sheriff for abuse. I don't know if it would have changed things if I'd... I mean, he started to raise his hand to me and I said, you do that and I'll call a sheriff. I don't know whether it would have worked if I'd told him about the talking or not because I didn't recognize what it was. But I know that, that later on after we got divorced, I was in a company where I was dealing with a boss with the same kind of disposition. And he walked into my room, and the program has had a lot to do with this, too, because I walked into the room, and he started to give me a loud, noisy explanation of something I did wrong. He was right. I did do it wrong. We were in a building that was probably as big as the bottom of this hotel, and they had cubicles, so you make a sound in one, and you hear it all the way to the other side of the building. They could hear him ranting and raving at me from one side of the building to the other. 
And after I verified, it took me about two sentences of his ranting to realize I did do what he said I did do, which is leave something out, and I could fix it. And I repeated to him, is this what you're saying I didn't do? So I let him do it. And then I walked out and I said, I'll be back in about five minutes with the information you want. I was gone before he could say you're not leaving. (laughs) I wasn't going to wait for him to say you can't leaving because I knew that was the issue. It wasn't how much he wanted to holler, but I didn't do what I should have. So I came back and I handed him the information and he just mumbled something, didn't say thank you, and that's okay. I didn't expect him to say thank you. But about a week later, he walks into my room again on something in the newspaper. I don't know what he was talking about, and I didn't care what he was talking about. It had nothing to do with me. And immediately, I stood up and said, I need to do some copying. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. He stopped coming to me with those arguments, those hollerings and those screamings, which suited me just fine. But unfortunately, there was a little girl in the, in the cubicle next to me that had another job, and he went in and did it to her. And she was too shy and too quiet and retiring to know how to tell him bug off she wouldn't even have known how to say it in any way but certainly not she wouldn't have said it that way and I don't think I would have said it that way either because that's rude but I definitely told him what I didn't wouldn't put up with so the bottom line is because of this program I can live among people that don't like to do things in a proper fashion like if it's the law and you don't want to do it if I'm supposed to be responsible for helping you behave yourself I need to say something about it if I'm not I can walk away and leave you but all in all it has enabled me to talk to the world around me to share what I'm thinking what I'm feeling and when appropriate to say absolutely nothing because sometimes it's none of my business that's probably the hardest thing. Probably the only place left that I, that I have any problems is when somebody cuts in front of me in their car on the freeway. I think of things I'd like to say, and my vocabulary is not as extensive as some people because I never heard my dad use a swear word till I was 18, and it was only damn, so that wasn't all that great. But the fact is, I think of things I'd like to say that I don't even know the words for, and I've got the point now where instead of saying that, I'll say, you know what, God... Protect the people that are around him so he doesn't cause an accident. And that's the end of it. I can let go of it. I don't know what he's going to do, but I can let go of it. Anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, you guys. Lonnie, compulsive overeater. Thank you. Um, Okay, so this is supposed to be on aging and diversity. And so what I'm going to say is, in a very diverse manner, I'm aging. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm 74. I came into Overeaters Anonymous when I was 43. So that puts me here 31 years. And I've been abstaining for a little over 31 years. And the lessons are more profound today than they were when I first came in. When I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, my first meeting, in fact... I didn't hear very much other than um, I, I did hear, I think I heard keep coming back. But the most important lesson that I learned that night, 31 years ago plus years ago, was that I'm a compulsive overeater. And I heard others across the table from me say they were a compulsive overeater. And the thing went on in my brain that said, there's a name for it. These guys have it. I was the biggest person in the room. I was 340 pounds. And I said, they, they, there's a name for what they call this. And, and I'm that 
Oh, my goodness gracious. That was a step study. We studied the AAs 12 and 12 at that time. And I thought I got this. I bought the book. I'm going to read it for the plot. And I was, you know, I would be done. And so, but something compelled me, the truth. What compelled me to come back the second week on that Tuesday night was uh, that I was too chicken to tell the woman that invited me the first night that I, I had something better to do like watch television. This was before even I had a VCR. I was going to watch television. So I went the second night. And on the second night, I heard that we should keep coming back. And I'm going to say with perfection, that's probably the only thing I've managed to pull off in all these years, is that I will keep coming back. Down weight, up weight. When I say up weight a little bit, because thank God it's not been up weight. It's, you know, up. down weight, happy, sad, crying. I have laughed and, and cried my heart out in the same meeting. But I have stayed and kept my seat. And I think if I have any claim to fame, that's going to be it. But in the, So in the meantime, I started, I was terrified. That was the other thing. It was the only time that I could consciously remember in my life that I was afraid and that I could actually cop to the fact that I had fear and it wasn't physical threat. Because fear to me, I only had one fear. Could you take me or not? And that was man or woman. It, could I get away from you? Could, you know, if I had to assess you, could I take you? Could I either drop you or stop you? That was all I really cared about. And, and otherwise, I did not have fear. And at that point in my life, it would have been December 1985, and I was in abject terror. And yet I couldn't define it. I had not yet come to OA. I was on my way to OA or on my way to uh, my own version of my 600-pound life and my own TV show. And I was coming home from work on the 405, going into a holiday season, and I knew what that looked like. You name it, and I did it, and we ate it, and I ate it, and I made it two or three times to make sure there was enough of it. And I was the best jolly fat girl you ever met. And we did movies, and and it was just an endless array of. And then after the holidays, all the chocolate Santas went on sale, and that was almost as good. But I was terrified, and the only thing I could, I could put my finger on at that time was, I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm 43. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to die of a heart attack, and somebody else is going to try and step in and dysfunctionally raise my children. And it was, oh, no. So when I was fed that little piece of information from a newcomer's packet from a friend through the company mail, I glommed onto it, and I went to that first meeting that I just described. And... I thought, I don't want to be here, but my job here, I have a job here. My job here is to let you know that I know how to read. It is important that you understand that. And so, and I did, because we read. Everybody read a paragraph, and don't jump paragraphs, because I would count so that I knew when my paragraph rolled around. It's crazy. One of the things I do today, uh, my Saturday morning meeting we read, I never read ahead. Whatever it comes up, I know how to read it, I can read it, but that's recovery. So, I, but, but I stayed, and I met someone there who just did what she could to encourage me. She is very ill today. She was my first sponsor and became my very best friend, and we are like sisters. And today she's laid out uh, with bad medical things going on. Uh, But she was there, and her job, and she did it to perfection. She was like a border collie and sheep. She would just get right behind you, and and she would guide you. And she finally said after three or four weeks of going to that meeting, and she said, Lonnie, there's a great meeting, a 100-pounder meeting. It's in 
Westwood. I knew Westwood. I used to eat my way through Westwood every weekend. She said, it's in Westwood. What if I take you there? I didn't understand that was her tactic, but I went, oh, that's so nice. Yeah, we could go to Westwood, and then we go to dinner, whatever we were going to do. She took me to that first 100-pounder meeting, and then I, that's what the beginning of uh, my actual commitment to Overeaters Anonymous as, I, I want to say a change, but that's today's words, because those days' words were, I'll just go in all my 340 pounds of loveliness with my moo-moo tops that are properly stained with chicken delicious on the front, and, and I made my clothes. I wore men's shoes. I made the polyester pants that we all hear about. I was that girl with a nasty, rapid wit that you never wanted to engage ever because I never lost. And I had the weight to prove it. And much, a few years later, I was able to, and I worked a lot on this, not have the last word because I know what the last word looks like. Today, I will gift you and give you the last word because I've been there and done that. I've won that war Hundreds upon hundreds of times, and, I, and, and, and that 340 pounds of loveliness that I walked in the door with is what that looks like. It is not worth it to me. But I stayed. I met friends. I learned to give service. When, talk about horror of horrors. I went to my first birthday party. I think it was 1987. And after the birthday party, I was just, I didn't know what fellowship meant. Somebody said, you want to go to fellowship? And I thought, that sounds new. I could do that. Okay, so we go to a restaurant and we order. Oh, I know how to go to a restaurant. I know how to order stuff. I'm sitting with about 14 people and they all order and it all sounds like when Harry met Sally. And I just, my heart broke for the waiter. And I went, so this is what we do. Oh, but the interesting thing was, um, I, I was making a commitment to Overeaters Anonymous. I was losing weight. I was abstaining and I knew that sugar was not my friend. When I was about seven years old, the serving, and I've shared this many times, the uh, serving of ice cream was one pint. Now, uh, you watch a normal seven-year-old. It's a scoop if they finish it, and it doesn't run all down their arm or they're tired of it or they put it down. And for me, it was a pint because if my grandmother ate a pint, I got a pint. My grandmother was, was a 300-pounder, and I was, on my, I, was, I was to become that at some point in time. And so, okay, all of that just brought me to Overeaters Anonymous. When I came here, I, and I began to listen, and I heard those horrifying things, I actually sat in, in a meeting, and this was right before I started to abstain, but I sat in a meeting, and there was a man and a woman there, and, and I just, ju- oh my God, judgment today for me is candy. I savor that. I've said this before, but it's candy. I just get it, and, and it's delicious, and it's better than candy, actually. But in those days, I practiced it a lot. And I looked over, and he, they were, it was a huge meeting, a very dynamic, huge group, and he talked about he didn't eat sugar and white flour and the only reason I didn't stand up and call him a damn liar was because I had never seen anybody do that in a meeting I wasn't exactly sure how to behave in meetings in those days still but I'd never seen it so I didn't do it he was saved and the woman next to him said the same thing and I went how did they do that how do you do that fast forward just a few weeks and I wake up one morning and it's a Friday morning because I don't start anything on a Monday but it's a Friday morning And I thought, after a Thursday night dynamic meeting, and I'm going to give this a go because I am hopelessly addicted to sugar. And that Friday, so that Thursday was my last affair with sugar because that Friday 
I abstained. I gave away my four boxes of Girl Scout cookies that was delivered to me. I walked away from the tray of donuts. I won't even go into that long, sad tale. We can talk about it later if you need. But that was uh, Friday morning, February the 28th, 1986. And I've not had it since. And I've come to understand and appreciate and respect addiction. And I believe that it hits us in many ways. One of the things that I absolutely love about Overeaters Anonymous is in this room, it is our weakness that pulls us together and gives us strength. It is not our strength. And I had it so screwed up for such a long time. And finally, you know, how funny how we grow. I grew. And I realized that we come together and our commonality now, I'm going to demonstrate my diversity in just a short minute, but our commonality is our weakness. And when I began to recognize that, I began to recognize the strength and the power of the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. And that, thank you, and that we can't do this, I can't do this alone. This is a we thing. So I thought for diversity, because outside in the outside world, in society, you say diversity, man, and it comes down to race or politics, or politics or race or both. And I can stride that for you. And I thought, well, they're going to ask me to speak on diversity. No, not that kind of diversity, Lottie, because I bring my own with me. And just to get it out of the way, racially, I'm black, white, Japanese, and Hawaiian. And I could immediately, I've cut myself out from all the rest of you right now because I don't think in that term, I don't have sisters and brothers in the room. But if I say that I'm a compulsive overeater or I'm a food addict or I'm addicted to sugar or I'm anorexic, the flip end of that, or bulimic or something, yes. And so we are now all brothers and sisters in the thing. So I was was 43 when I got here. That's kind of old, actually. But I got here, and I'm now 74. And I got to tell you, none of my friends are as old as I am. I'm the oldest in my group that I kind of am close to. So there's nobody to teach me how to be a better 74 than I am. And a year and a half ago, I moved into the world of leisure in Seal Beach from Los Angeles. I have to tell you, that in and of itself has been an experience and is still an experience. And, and, and my family was horrified when I said I was going to do that because for years I had made them promise, write their name in blood, that they would never let me go to a place like that because I read about it and it wasn't for me. Okay? My daughter went, what is mom doing? Well, yes, because of a dear friend. We went there, and she decided, and I went, okay, I guess we're going to go do this together. Well, anyway, she passed away. God bless her, and I miss her. And she was a strong member of this fellowship, and I moved there. And I have to tell you, I'm having such the best time. And I'm having such the best time because I have great neighbors, because I'm a good neighbor. I have great neighbors. My expectations are I'm going to have a great time. And you know something? I do. The people who don't want me around, they leave. And the people I don't want to be around, I leave. Fair enough. Fair game to me. And I have fun sometimes with things. And I am the person that I am today just because I remain in Overeaters Anonymous. And on a daily basis, I give thanks and gratitude every day. As my favorite prayer is thank you. And two miraculous things occurred early this morning. I opened both of my eyes. And I'm above dirt. And it doesn't, take, it doesn't take much more than that to start my day. And, oh, and then right after that, I start to scream because I was horribly late to get to the, you know, oh, no. And I'm the secretary because, oh, and I've got all the stuff. And, and, you know, put the toothbrush in the mouth, grab the clothes, hit the door, and I made it 
in, on time and I was there for my meeting and I went, okay, okay. I gave my service, I did my thing, thank you very much, and, and the, you know, there, there was my day. So I'm gonna say, spend the last two minutes on the diversity. In this program, my experience is that we come from many places. I could be the compulsive overeater, that's what I am, the anorexic, the compulsive undereater. I used to think that was a good thing to have, and all apology to the anorexics. I have seen it up close, learned it over the years, and pray for them all the time because it isn't, for me, the good thing to have. The 12 steps and how to live a better life is the good thing to have, and a good connection with a higher power that I call God is a miraculous thing to have. So I give thanks in the morning. I accept and I receive the gift because the gift is given so I don't struggle. Thank you for that gift. Let me try to honor it, and I won't trash it as I go out the door. And, and, and thank you for the, uh, and for the description on the freeway because I bless them. God bless and keep those people far, far away. Let them go, you know, and, and, and save me from them and save them from me when I cut them off because I am apt to mess up also. That's the other half of my prayer. And so um, I, I, I love and accept the diversity of Overeaters Anonymous in our fellowship, because it, it has given me a chance to see up close the other facets of the disease that we all bear in some way, to love and respect everybody who is on that journey. So if I can give that, if I have that in me, I can then give it to you. If I don't have bubonic plague, I can't give you bubonic plague. And if I don't have any goodness, any helpfulness, any love to offer, I can't give that to you. So my lesson in, in, in my aging, growth, and development is that it's a heck of a lot better than it would have been had I not come here. I am really grateful to be a compulsive overeater because I am here to learn the lessons, to be a better person, a contributing citizen, and to be just one among many with you. Thank you for letting me share. Okay. This question says, what, if anything, is more difficult at 60 plus? Okay, 70 plus. Here's some difficulty. Here's, here's a little difficulty for you. One, I, I get in the pool, the swimming pool, about four to five times a week. And this is just a, a step aside. And my sponsor says I get points in heaven for putting on the bathing suit and getting in the swimming pool. Okay, and I take those points in heaven. 60 plus. I, it's hard now at 74, that's 14 years ago, to think about this. My brain remembers exactly how to dance, and I have exact rhythm. It is, I couldn't throw off rhythmically if I wanted to. It is painful to sit next door, next to somebody at a concert, and they can't get it right. And I want to throttle them. But my, because my brain remembers what to do, I decide to get up and dance. The feet are not exactly what they used to be. The knees, this is just the physical aspect of it. The knees, the hips, and the feet are going in a different direction. The head says, I remember how to do that. That, that is different. Um, at 60, I was teachable. I became teachable a little bit after I got here. At 74, this is what I know. I don't know too damn much. That means that 
I know less than I knew five years ago. So that means that I can learn from others in the room. I learn from newcomers. I learn from other people. I can stop the head. The head doesn't spin as bad as it used to. And I can listen. I can, I can listen. It was a thrill for me to sit and listen to Ann and to Gina instead of trying to think about what am I going to say, what am I going to say. No, let me listen to what these guys have to say because I'll walk away with some wonderful word of wisdom. So, so 60 plus is, um, I, I'd like to say that there's maturity. Well, yes, there's age, age at maturity in there, but I'd like to think that there's also maturity of the head and the heart that is also moving along and catching up with part of the three-legged stool. Okay, my question. At 62, my physical limitations due to obesity seem to be uh, worse um, or as they could be. I feel like I'm 82 or 92. Um, It's disheartening. How should I try to get back on the OA horse? Um, Well, I am 44. My mom is 72. Um, My mom has always been there for me in terms of like my dieting phases of my life. So when I got back to my losing abstinence, she was a very big part of that right along with me. Um, And so I will say that Um, I tell my sponsees some of the things that my mom did with me when we decided to do this journey together. Um, My mom got in the pool with me. Um, I, when I got back in the pool, I was an avid swimmer when I was very young. I went to swim my first lap and literally had to stop halfway through and was sobbing. And that particular day, my husband was with me and he told me, don't worry about it. Just walk walk, walk. And I'm crying and walking in the pool at a size 32. Um, and at some point my mom joined me when in that walking. Um, and so my mom literally got to like her goal weight from walking in the pool. And she literally started doing, I started doing the app. Her, the doctor told her she needed to get a knee replacement if she didn't do this. And so she said, Oh shit, I better go with you. Uh, she, anyway, And so she said, I better go with Gina. And so she did. And so she literally got to go weight doing that. I literally got, I swim an hour three times a week now. Um, But I literally got swimming by walking in the water. Um, Part of my program is to continue to walk um, in the water. So after I, after my hour, I walk in the water and I move legs and I, just do whatever. I have a waterproof iPod. It kind of entertains me. Um, it helps me. She has a water. My mom sings loud. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs> she has her waterproof iPod and she just kind of sings and walks. Um, the sponsees that I have are always like horrified when I say, we're going to get into the, we're going to get you in the pool. <laughs> and um, they literally, I tell them walk. Um, Stay in there as much as you can. I literally tell them, I tell ladies in the pool with me that there are ladies that are in the pool that are like, you're shrinking. You know, what do you do? I will break my anonymity at that point and tell them. And I tell them, walk in the water. Just go to the water. Go as much as you can. I challenge sponsees to stay in the water two hours each time they go. And when they do it, it works for them. So even if they're just walking in the water or meandering, whatever, listening to music for two hours in the pool, 
Um, I am a school psychologist, so in the summer, I go to water aerobics with all the older people. They welcome me. They're like, hello, welcome back. You're off this summer? Yes, I am. And I'm going to do this with you. And so that's been part of my journey. So that led me to, I literally swim now for an hour straight without, I stopped for one restroom break and some water for like two minutes. So I did not start off that way. I did that. I have been encouraging my mom to do uh, chair yoga. One of my teachers does a chair yoga for seniors at the senior center. So I've kind of encouraged her to kind of go that route. So a lot of this is really not about like, it's about just doing what's on the schedule. You know, like, okay, this is your job. You get up. Do you want to go to work? Hells no. No, I don't want, I don't can't say that either. No, I don't want to go to work. No, I don't want to go to the gym. No, I don't want to do this, but it's on the schedule. So just go. So like when my husband said, just keep walking, you know, just walk. If you have to cry and walk, just cry and walk. Um, and then that works because On the date, there have been times when I haven't been able to swim for whatever reason, and the weight loss somehow continued um, just with doing something. Um, So I just encourage you to get a schedule and just kind of go against the grain kind of thing. I think of us like as salmon going up the, you know, the stream the wrong way. It's like we have to do, we have to go the opposite way of what we normally want to do. Okay, my question is, what are changes to your recovery after retirement? Well, that, that's a, a big question. I've changed a lot of things since I retired. I retired within a year, I guess it was, after I had got into OA. And uh, not only did my life in terms of being distracted or helped by work change, but now I am at home with nobody to tell me what to do and nobody to tell me I can't do it the way I want to do it and nobody to tell me you have to do it this way because that's what I like. I've also changed some of the things I like to do. I I have a jacuzzi. My son-in-law gave it to me and put it together and I love it. I'll climb in it every night before I go to bed. But I got to tell you, it has panels around the outside you can't see through. And I have a place to hang my robe across the front because you can't see me there. And I go into my birthday suit. And for me, that is a major change in thinking. I wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for OA because I know I'm completely private. I'm not flaunting my floppiness in front of somebody else. They can't see me. I don't particularly want them to see me. But on the other hand, it feels so good to lay in the water and just feel the water. And I know if it weren't for OA, I wouldn't be able to do that. I've got the time now to pay attention to where I shop for the food I want to get. I told you I pinch pennies. I'll find out where the food I want is on at the best price every week. And I'll go shop there for whatever I want because I can get the healthy food at a price I'm willing to pay. And I'll usually get enough of it so that next week when it's not on sale, I still have some that I can use. Um, I'm, I'm nowhere nearly as active as I would like to be. I, I've joked at my meetings that I know you're supposed to get exercise. I don't know what the amount is they tell you to get. A 10, was it 10,000 steps? Uh, I could probably count and get up to 100 possibly because I sit, I sit on my – I have a laptop. I work at a at – a, program at our worship service for the video projection and I work on that off and on during the week 
So I, even when I'm not working on it, I have the laptop in my lap and I have a tendency to want to sit there and play on it or read Facebook or whatever it is. It definitely is not getting up and moving. And I finally got to where I will frequently make a point of making a list of what I need to do for the day. And I know I'm not going to finish that list. Guaranteed, I'm not going to finish the list. But having the list usually enables me to get most of the things done. And most of them involve getting off my derriere and climbing either in the car and walk around a grocery store or to go out and work in the garden because I need to get it looking halfway decent instead of a bunch of weeds or, you know, things like that that will change my thinking. But more importantly, even that is it does change my thinking because I know I'm not going to have anybody to tell me what I have to do. I, I do have a sponsor, and she's really good for me. But and, and she will make suggestions. Somebody asked me, do I tell her what I eat every day? No. But I asked her, do you want me to? She says, do you need to? And I said, I don't think so. She said, would you if you did? I said, I definitely would. Okay, that's all she wants to know because we both have a long-term success rate with the program, and it's been wonderful. I had one day, I don't even remember what it was that caused it, that I was on the verge of tears, which for me is extremely rare. And in addition to that, I was just about to eat something that I shouldn't have eaten. I don't know what it was going to be because I didn't have that much in my house, but I was ready to fill myself with something that I shouldn't have just because I knew I was looking. And I called her and I said, can we talk right now? She says, well, I can't talk right now. Can you talk in about a half an hour? I said, can I come by your office? She said, sure. So I drove about five miles to her office because I'm not working and I can do this and sat down and talked with her. And by the time we were done, my urge to eat was gone. That's what I needed. I needed that one knowing that whatever the problem was wasn't really all that important, but it was what was going on in my head that I needed some help on trying to organize it so I didn't do it. So being retired gives me flexibility. I don't move as easily as I used to. There are times I've almost fallen off a ladder because I still climb ladders. Um, I know it's not the best thing in the world to be doing, but and now I do it a little more carefully. I'm usually very careful to be sure the ladder is sitting down on a stable bottom and I'm not going too high and I have something nearby I can hold on to as I go up. So I am being a lot more cautious. I have a friend that she was probably 90 when she got up on her kitchen counter to fix a curtain, I think it was, forgot where she was and tried to go watch the TV and she fell off and broke her arm. Well, that could have been a whole lot worse, I tell you, a whole lot worse. But fortunately, she was okay. I don't want to do that. I was standing with somebody just recently, and I fell and I hit my rib cage. I think I've bruised it, but I can't find it when I'm standing up. And when I lay down in bed, I can feel it. I think, okay, fine. So whatever it is, it's not serious. But it is making me aware of the fact that at 74, I have to be careful not only what I do, but how I do it. And if it's something I think I need to do for health reasons, either do or not do for health reasons, I'm going to pay attention to it. So I don't know if that answers the question enough for whoever was asking for it, but I guess that's what I have to say. This question says, Embarrassingly, I find that my abstinence was very supported by the fact I would look better. Now older, I cannot look better to the level I desired, and I guess still. So we have today. And... 
Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Let's go back here. Wait a I cannot look better to the level I desired, and I guess still desire. I am more easily attracted to non-abstinent foods when I don't have that break to hold me back. It's been a shock and a disappointment to see how important the looks aspect was. Okay. A little while ago, not sure what a little while ago means right now, but maybe a couple, two, three years now, maybe. Um, I... I would like to be tall and thin, blonde, and have alabaster breast. Okay, moving in the right direction. Okay, so, so just to get that part out of the way. And I am none of those. And I'm not ever going to be any of those. And so I, I get some choices when I get into a statement like that. This is a real girly thing maybe. But I get into a statement like that, and it is, I'm, I'm, I'm not pretty. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm going, this is the brain. This is that dangerous brain. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the way I am today. But that brain goes there, and immediately there is judgment. Judgment is not a good thing. And, and that judgment now turns inward and becomes destructive. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. I need to take a little comfort. So I started to do something. This was when my husband was still alive, so now I know it's more than three years ago. But I would get dressed, and no matter what it was that I was doing, come out the shower, get the dress, I'm, I'm groomed, I'm fresh. And I'd stand in the mirror, and I'd go, girl, you looked really good yesterday, but you are spectacular today. <laughs> okay? And then I would leave. Now, I could be wearing the T-shirt, the jeans, and the sweatshirt, but that became my morning routine. And when I moved into my new place, there is a huge wall that is a mirror. And my first thought when I saw it was, that has to go. <laughs> but you know what? By the time I actually moved, got my furniture in, my floors done and my furniture in, I love that mirror. And it stays right there. One, it, br- it draws ambient light, which I need. But I thought, yeah. But every morning I would do that. Now, my husband picked up on the fact that I'm having a conversation with someone, and there's only the two of us in the house, and it wasn't him. So he would stand over the heater in the hallway while I would get dressed. And there I would. I'd get back in the mirror, and I'd make that same little statement. And that was the funniest thing he'd heard. And he'd start, and I had to remind him, this is my conversation with my mirror. You are not invited into this conversation. You may leave now. When he would do what he always did, he'd go down one way, come circle through the house, and come right back and end up in the same damn spot to which I had just run him away. But there was something more powerful in that than like a little game that we would play sometime when I would run him away from something and he'd do the same thing. The powerful thing was my brain, which is broken, is dictating how I look to myself and my world, and no one else. I could go out. I could, Kathleen would go, oh, Lonnie, you look so nice today. And I'd say, thank you, Kathleen, and so do you. But I'm telling myself. So I decided that I needed a better dialogue. Often I dialogue things. I need a better dialogue. What could I do? I will look in the mirror, and I will go, you know, girl, you look great today. I mean, yesterday was nice, but today is really good. And then I leave and I'm done. That was it. But it began to have an effect on how I approached other people just and how I felt about myself. Remember I said something about I couldn't give away something if I don't have it? I couldn't give away. And that's part of, to me, self-esteem. That was an esteemable act, an esteemable statement about myself. I would easily tell you how gorgeous you look today. I would really say something to you. I would do that, but I wouldn't do it for myself. So what changes? 
What changes? Abstinence, we abstain from the things that hurt us, the alcoholic foods, the compulsive overeating, the starving ourselves. We abstain. We give up from doing that. But there's lots of little behaviors. And the other behaviors for me count. And so I'd have to have better behaviors. Like I found out, how did I find this out? I don't know. I went to Weight Watchers. And Weight Watchers is kind of just my fallback food plan of choice. But the, what's my biggest lesson from Weight Watchers? I eat off of smaller dishes. And I went one day, wait a minute. I didn't notice it until I went somewhere and they brought me a big dish. So when did the dish get that? And I realized I've been eating off of smaller dishes and smaller bowls. It's enough. You know, but I don't have to. So if I dialogue something different to myself that's a little more esteemable, maybe it's not about getting a losing abstinence or, or whatever. Maybe it's about dialoguing something back that's nicer than what's been being said. And, and then talk with a sponsor and talk with someone who can help with abstaining, with, with letting meals end, with closing the kitchen. I actually once... somebody said, I can't close the kitchen at night. And I said, stop at the hardware store, buy crime scene tape. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Put crime scene tape across the refrigerator at 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night. Your time. It's your refrigerator. You put whatever. But put crime scene tape there. The kitchen is closed. Tomorrow morning when you get up, remove. But it's a visible thing because sometimes things are automatic. So it has nothing to do with what we think when we look in the mirror. And so abstain, yes, 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 yes. But also I, I would just say that what, has work, what works for me is that I will try to dialogue something nicer back to myself, and then I can give that to you when I encounter you. So I hope that answers the, the question. Do you want to do it? It's up to you. Okay. Have you had this experience? I, yes, I did. I have a question here that is, how have, excuse me, have you ever gained weight while eating the same abstinent food plan? Yes, most emphatically. But fortunately, it has not lasted very long. And I discovered a lot of things. My compulsive nature actually led me to some reasons for this happening. The guys can tune out here. I don't deal with female problems anymore. I haven't since I've been in OA. But my body weight changes with the full moon. No matter what I've had to eat, no matter how careful I've been, no matter how much exercise I have done, my weight goes up around the full moon. Our bodies are mostly water. Now, maybe the guys feel that too because there's water in their bodies too. But I noticed it on mine and it gave me a lot of comfort to know I may have actually had something that I shouldn't have had. In those weeks, maybe I lost weight or maybe I gained weight. But there's a lot more to it than just the food I'm eating. Maybe I got myself in a bad mood, and bad moods will cause you to gain weight no matter what you're eating. It's just part of what goes on. You are in a good mood. Your body puts out certain hormones. I don't even know what they're called, but it puts out certain hormones that help you to feel good about yourself. And when you feel good about yourself, you're not going to gain weight. But if you're thinking all these thoughts that are making you pull yourself down, you can be eating terrible. You can eat things that are not so terrible and gain weight. So if you're feeling those things and eating things that you shouldn't, yes, you're going to gain weight. And when you start to get control of your, I call it stinking thinking, I've heard somebody in my meeting call it that, to where you start to realize there's more to it than just the food I'm putting in my mouth or just the food I'm bringing into the kitchen. 
It, there's a lot more to it than just that. And when we stop thinking that the food is the problem, it's merely a symptom of the problem. We'll make a lot of headway along those lines. Even when every step isn't forward, you can go step backwards once in a while. Uh, think about people that climb mountains. Sometimes they get halfway up and can't make it. They go down and back around another way. Well, we have to do the same thing with our eating. If something starts to work and it stops, change gears. Go a different way. Thank you. Um, well, I guess what I could say, have you ever gained weight while eating your same abstinent food plan? The answer would be definitely yes. Um, one would be that I guess early on when I first got recovery and I first came in the program and I gave up sugar like I did the last time and I dropped 70 pounds. And, you know, when I was younger, that always worked. I got right down, you know, weight just kind of came off and that was it. I just need to give up donuts, candy you know, sugars. And that was about it. And um, this time, you know, closer to my 40s, I'm still not understanding what's going on with the metabolism thing. I didn't count that in at all. I gave up all of those things. And I started to gain weight. And that's what kind of got my attention um, in terms of what kind of abstinence I have and what kind of program I have. And then I started talking to my sponsor about it. And that's when I said, you know what, I got I think I have some learning to do. You know, I think I don't know it all like I thought I did. And so one of the tools I use is for that app. You know, I use the MyFitnessPal app. It has taught me a tremendous amount about what I'm actually putting in. It has helped me to give up certain things naturally, you know, just by putting it in, you know, like, okay, just put it in. And then I start to, you know, look at the nutritional content. I start to look at, you know, the calories and then. As I started to shrink, the app will say, you don't get as many calories. You are now a 40-something-year-old woman, and you're not going to eat all this stuff and lose weight. And so then I would have to, like, pray about that, (laughs) you know, come to, okay. So naturally, you know, I need to stay fuller. I'm not happy when I'm not fuller. So low-calorie foods are going to keep me more, you know, full. So it helped me to kind of learn as I I went along that, yeah, I'm probably going to have to give up certain foods. And I'm probably going to have to I did have to give up calories. Because when you learn when you start off at 100, you know, when you start off at 300 pounds, what you're given to eat is not like what I'm given right now. And every time you hit those plateaus or whatnot, then you need to I'm going to have to really think about, okay, what is it going to, what, you know, like, I still kind of cheat here and there, you know, like on Saturdays, I have like about 200 calories more, you know, and I can kind of get away with that. But when I have that plateau and that plateau hits, then I kind of know what I'm doing. I know that I'm giving myself 200 calories on Saturday, and I'm going to have to come to some kind of decision about that. You know, like, am I just going to continue with that plateau and let that be the way it is. And I usually do for some time to see, you know, that has been my experience, what Anne was saying earlier, that sometimes I'll hit a plateau and then all of a sudden my clothes will just, you know, fit great. And I'm like, what is that scale saying? That cannot be right. You know, and it may do that for like about a month. And then all of a sudden, maybe it'll give me more pounds than, you know, I was trending at previously. But the app has just kind of helped me to understand that I don't know it all. And that, and it's helped me to just kind of be accountable so that I'm aware 
that when I'm, you know, sometimes I think my food plan is the same and it's like, oh, but I did have some extra half and half, you know, and that stuff kind of adds up. You know, when I take that spoonful, oh, I'll just have a spoonful of that. Well, now I really do my best to put that spoonful in my app because not so that the app can tattletale on me, but just so that I will know what I'm doing. If I'm giving myself extra 200 on Saturdays, like I just need to know that. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong for doing that or that's not okay. You know, I, I do tons of exercise, whatever I do. If I don't exercise, that goes into the app. Um, and it just kind of helped. That's what has helped me with and learning about the abstinence and then also learning how to get, you know, weight off. This seems to touch everybody, so I'll have a shot at it. Uh, have I ever gained weight while eating my same abstinent food? Yes. Okay. And one of the things that I am now at, at my age in encountering in my lifestyle is for a long time I was a, uh, I, very active. I was active when I was young. I was active when I was 340 pounds. I was very active. And then in the last few short years, not so much, just not so much. Yet, um, and, and the, my food plan has pretty much stayed the same. Well, that doesn't equate, actually. So, and I, and I said, I've been saying to my sponsor and to other people, I need to exercise more. I need to exercise regularly. I need a regular. There's a swimming pool available to me, and, and so I made my way back to it, and I've been doing water aerobics. I'm a vigorous exerciser. I stretch it to the max and, and, and push it as good as I can for my time in the water. I also love to walk the water. It's a great thing because it's resistance, easy on the knees, easy on the hips, and, and I can feel the difference. I can feel the difference just sitting down and standing up. But the greater truth is, as I age, all of the medical reports say that seniors don't need to eat as much food as they did when they weren't seniors. I don't know if I particularly like that statement. I'm not going to argue with the statement. I'm certain that the statement is absolutely correct. And, you know, I remember way back in the day when I ate, I would eat two cups when yogurt was measured in cups, and now it's in six or 5.3 ounces. You can tell I eat yogurt, and I know what my yogurt measurement is. But it would be two cups, and I would eat two cups of yogurt. And I, and I, and I, would, I, I was beginning to call a, a new food sponsor at the time to just be honest. And, and that's one of the things that I stress with my sponsees. I, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, and I'm not going to try and take anything away from you. I'm just going to say, let's be honest. Let's tell the real truth. Because I don't want to tell the real truth. But he said, Lonnie, he said, you know, two cups of yogurt is a lot. Really? Didn't look like a lot. And he said, why don't, let's, let's try this. What if you ate one of something that you normally eat two of? I immediately heard, you know, deprivation. You know, down periscope, get out of here, you know. And, but I thought, okay, I'll try it. Teeth gritted on the phone with that telephone call. But the next morning, because um, I ate most of my breakfasts at work, and I had one, I got my cup of yogurt, and I ate my cup of yogurt. And, you know, the strangest thing happened. I didn't die of starvation. And, and it's a lesson that I never forgot. I, and so today, so let's fast forward to today. I can, I'll have breakfast and I'll have two slices of toast when the truth is what I need to work on is maybe to just have one. Was I there this morning? No. Will I be there? Mm, most likely. Will I stress over it? No. 
But sometimes pain makes me take an action that nothing else makes me take. Okay? You know, I didn't come here until it hurt. You know, I wasn't tripping the light fantastic and, hey, I think I'll go find out what this Overeaters Anonymous thing is and see what they're going to take. No, no, no. That's a- pain brought me here. Fear and pain. So I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, I, yes. Will there be changes? Of course there will. You know, do I need to, so uh, exercise. I regularly now go to the swimming pool. I bought an adult tricycle. I regularly ride it. This is not a pretty picture. Can I just tell you, I do not look hip slick and cool on an adult tricycle. I saw myself reflected in the glass and I just went, God loves me. All right. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, I am his child and he takes great delight in me. And he told me so this morning. That's how I know. And, and I just keep riding because one, it's fun. It's fun. I wear a helmet because, yeah, oh, let's complicate this. Let's put a helmet on this thing. And, and I just go, Lonnie, it doesn't matter. I think I'm at an age and a point and a recovery that I truly don't care. And sometimes I'll, I'll see myself and go, oh, hell no, Lonnie. Just go out and do it. And I go out and I get on my tricycle and I, I'm all over the place. And I just love it. It's safe. You know, I'm mindful. I see other people on all kinds of devices and stuff. Well, there's enough pathways where I live. I can just turn down, and an hour and a half later, and I ride pretty much for about an hour and a half. Hour and a half later, I'll think, oh, this is not really exercise until all my clothes are wet because I've been perspiring. Yes, it is. And I went, you know what? I'll call that exercise for today, and I'll do that. And that's a really good thing. So this the, the food plan the exercise, the spiritual growth that it takes to to um, learn something from somebody and take the next step and take direction and apply what I've heard. All of that, all of that is all part of going forward with a, a spiritual program of recovery from something that we have that wants to kill us. And, and now that I think about it, I'll get on my tricycle probably tomorrow morning and go, oh, my God, Lonnie, you know, all right, just get on out there and do it, girl. Just go do it, go do it. Nobody really cares. And, and, I, and I laugh at myself, and I think there is there's great love and great beauty in just admitting that and just laughing about it to myself. So it uh, looks like everybody had a yes on that question. I'll pass it. Weird. We still have 10 minutes because aren't we done at 5? The only time I have a problem with it is if I turn onto an alley and go up because if on level ground it's more stable. You turn a corner and it isn't as stable. So you just have to learn how to deal with it. But it's fun, yeah. And, and thank you, Anne, because um, the reason I got an adult tricycle, I have a bicycle. I'm a great bicycle rider. I can ride with no hands. I can't get off. Okay, so on the dismount, on the dismount, I fell a couple of times on the dismount in front of my daughter who freaked out of her mind. And so I promised the family that I would no longer attempt the bicycle. And I, and I went to the tricycle, and it's a different skill set. You cannot cut a corner real fast. You think about it, and then you go around. There's, it's a different skill set, and still, um, 
Yes, and, and it's very doable. I'm most comfortable with it now. And, and I keep thinking, but I want, I, I would look more hip slick and cool on a bicycle. Who cares? You know, who really cares? So if anybody is so inclined to want to try that sometimes, I highly recommend it, actually. If you have somewhere to safe to ride it, and I don't recommend taking it out in traffic the way you would a bicycle. You take your, I wanted to go the bike path, but yeah, I don't have one near me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, if there's no more questions, we can close out early. And uh, my ins- yeah, they are. Uh, my directions here indicate to close the section. Please stand and join hands and close with the let's see the Serenity Prayer. I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.